This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. Jason Roundsville here, joined as always by my co-host Dylan Ray, and we have with us straight from vacation in san diego california we have world record holder corky richards corky welcome to the pope and young podcast thank you glad to be here yeah. it's gonna be fun so now where is when you're not vacationing where's home for you uh levine arizona which is a suburb of phoenix there so okay so you're not too far from home no 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 45 minute flight so oh not too bad at all 45-minute yeah, flight, but, but 45 degrees difference, too, so that's why I'm over yeah. here right now. <laughs> yeah, and it's and see, you know, the, the crazy thing is most people go to San Diego for the sun. You go to San Diego to get out of the heat. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, that's – I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm uh, I don't know, probably 1,500 miles just about due north of you, and, man, it's still raining here. I don't know when we're going to get summer. But uh, we're ready for it. Yeah, so, good for you. Yeah, well, hey, we wanted to, we to have seen you. have a rain cloud in Phoenix in three months. So. Wow, yeah. Well, we're, we're get, we needed it really bad, so nobody's complaining. But we're almost we're, – we're getting close to July, and, and if people's getting rained out on their 4th of July barbecues, I, I think you're going to start hearing the complaints. Yeah. <laughs> So, but after some of the fire seasons we've had, it's, it's nobody's saying too much. I'll bet. Uh, 
Um, well, hey, we wanted to have you on. I mean, you're a, a longtime supporter of the club, and, and I've gotten to visit with you several times at panels and different things. Um, wanted to have you on to talk about your world record bison and and how that hunt went. And, and so just give us a, a background. If, if you want to talk, you know, a little bit about about you and who you are and, and your bow hunting history. And then let's talk about that world record. Cause I mean, it's exciting. Sure. I, uh, I started uh, bow hunting a long time ago. I believe I was, uh, well, when I could legally do it, 10 years old. Um, and, uh, I'm 58 now, so that's been 48 years ago. So, um, anyway, um, long time looked to draw a Buffalo tag in Arizona is really hard. At that time, there were only three bull permits, that were available and we had thousands and thousands of people that were applying for them and arizona has a bonus point system to where you just keep applying and you get a you know you get an extra bonus point every year but at that time it was still pretty tough to get a, a tag and uh lo and behold though in 2001 i did draw my tag and uh went up uh scouting looking looking around i had uh, my dad we got quite a history in in the uh, bison hunting for Arizona. Um, I was uh, adamant and very strategic in, in getting it to where we could start hunting bison in Arizona uh, with a bow. For years, it, they wouldn't allow it. And uh, so we bought an auction tag. My dad did. My dad had already killed one with a rifle years before. And I told Ty Plea at the time, which was our Arizona uh, game branch supervisor, I said, well, I'm going to buy the auction tag for my father, and uh, but we want to do it with a bow. And she said, well, we'll have to change the, the rules and, and set the, the rules before you do that. So we got the rules changed, and they changed about a week before we bought that permit. So my dad was the first person in Arizona to take a bison with a, with a or a bull bison with a bow. Um, so... It, it, so it goes back with a little history any, anyway there. And so That's, then I tried to, yeah, I, I tried to draw mine. And um, anyway, it took another five years or so before I got drawn. But anyway, anyway 2001, I got drawn. And um, there were three of us with permits. And uh, a guy from Tucson, another fellow named uh, Ralph Stainer, uh, who had, or Steve Stainer, had the tag uh, from Chandler there and then myself. So Steve and I, at that time, we could fly. We could look at, we could get up in an airplane and fly around and look for them. And uh, you can't do that anymore, but we, we could at that time. So we did. We flew quite a bit. Kaibab is a huge um, portion of the country. It's basically everything north of the Grand Canyon uh, in Arizona. It's desolate up there. There's, no, there's not much as far as uh, towns and things go. We have one town, Fredonia. But um it's uh it's north of the grand canyon so you're hunting right along the rim of the grand canyon and the bison have changed over the years uh when my father hunted and when i hunted uh the bison lived out on what they called the raymond ranch or not the raymond ranch but the uh, house rock ranch the house rock ranch sits on the north rim of the grand canyon and um they have a a trek of probably i don't know i think it's 20 something miles that they do up and down the 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 rim, they go from 5,000 feet up to 9,000 feet, and they, they would spend the, the summer uh, out at the 5,000-foot level, and they'd spend the winter at the 9,000-foot level. So they, these bison are crazy. They, they go fight all that snow and everything in the uh, winter months. That's kind of the but, opposite of how everything else does it. They're, they're literally yeah. pat, they're passing the deer and elk as they're coming down. The bison are going up then. 
Right, exactly, exactly. And uh, they uh, they would go to where the you know the imprinting is a big thing. In other words, where a where a bison is born is where where a, uh, if a cow has a is born in a certain spot, it will go back to that spot to have its calf. So we had years and years of those bison that had been out on the uh, uh, House Rock Ranch. So they would go back out there. And so, but in the winter, uh, the season, the time I had my permit, I was only able to hunt um, 30 days. And my season started February 15th and went through March 15th. So we were forced to hunt them up on the, uh, on the cold side and uh, up on top. So you go up and you fight snow. And uh, we, uh, fortunately, we had a fresh snowfall every morning. And uh, so we would cover lots of ground, whether by quad, snowmobile, or horses. We had all three in camp. We had quite the camp up there, big wall tents. And uh, some of us that were going up to high, high, high ground, we had snowmobiles, and we would try and cut a track. And uh, we hunted for nine days before we uh, I actually encountered a bison. But on day seven, I, I cut some tracks, and... Those bison were headed back over to what we call the uh, uh, east side, which the east side is the low side in that, that country, or what we would call the House Rock Ranch. I found three bull tracks that were headed that way. So for seven days, we would everybody would go out, and I had six or eight people up there helping me, you know, looking around for uh, tracks. And uh, not one track did we cut in seven days until that time. Went over there, and I decided I'm going to go over to the east side. I'm going to go over there and, and see what I can find over there. So went over there and uh ended up it took us a day to move so day nine i ended up on the east side over there and we went up to a spring that my dad and, and just quirky just for for uh you know so that people have kind of a perspective on this when you talk because you talk to some guys and, and they hunt a you know 22 acre piece so moving from the west side to the east side is well you just grab your stuff and you walk you know 200 yards what what no, no. how far was the move when you start talking about moving to the east side of this range how how far are we talking 85 miles okay wow a yeah, little bit go, different gotta, move yeah yeah you can't go up and over the mountain all the highways are closed because the, the the roads are closed up there because of all the snowfall but uh, yeah, you you have to come back out to Fredonia, go back around, you go to towards Page, and you come in from another whole another direction. When you turn off of the highway there, the gravel road just to get to where the House Rock Ranch is is fifty six miles. So yeah, it's a it's a long way, desolate back in there. There's nothing in there. Uh, the House Rock Ranch is just that. It's a game and fish. Uh, uh, it's where the game and fish is set up to uh, manage bison and, and other wildlife as well. But mostly they were set up originally to manage the bison there. Um, and I, I went there, uh, Chuck Adams and I have been friends for quite some time. And uh, Chuck had, had two tags. Also, uh, also a world record holder. I think yep, several, yeah. several times now. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, at that time he had the world record and um, uh, Pete Shepley actually had it for just, a few weeks and but chuck had broke his and um chuck had one that i believe went uh, 115 inches something like that and um anyway chuck had talked about a track that he he and i knew about a place up there called the pigeon pockets pigeon pockets are a spot that's in the wilderness area that you got to walk into and um there's a spring there and that that spring i told you about earlier that's the spring that my father and i went to and um 
Chuck had told me about a track there that he never, he said, he killed two bison in there, but uh, he was buying auction tags. And uh, he said, I never did find the track that fit the track that I, I never did find the hoof that fit the track of the bison that I was looking for. He said, there's some, there's some behemoth bison up there somewhere. I just can't find it. Hey, Dylan, and, um, what, what do you think? What do you think about getting advice from Chuck Adams? Yeah. I mean, that's not bad. Yeah, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm 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 in the company, you know. Chuck Adams, yeah. Pete, Pete Shepley, and I, we all have the same, you know, same world record yeah. animal. That's but that's see, pretty on, good company. I'm on the level yeah, where yeah. Chuck says, even I can't help you, son. Move on. Uh, yeah. Uh, Chuck Chuck's the best. There's no question about it. I I've always been impressed with him. He's a, he's a great man and very very willing to share. You know what I like about Chuck is uh, my dad and I have hunted together for years. And uh, that's that's my hunting team. I mean, I hunt with a lot of different people, but I've got one preferred team, and that's my dad. And uh, Chuck was always that way with his dad. When we were up there, uh, I guided for years before I actually pulled a permit for myself. And when Chuck was up there, I would see Chuck and his dad up there. They had an old beat-up truck with an old beat-up truck kind of halfway camper shell thing that went on a bed that was a bed of a truck that they pulled around that they had make shift made this thing. Right. And so, yeah, you think of Chuck Adams, you think that he being a pristine guy like he is that he would have motor homes and this big entourage of things. Nah, he was, he was the most humble guy you've ever seen in your life. And uh, I always appreciated that about him. And he had his father up there, his, his dad, we ran into him several times. He'd be at the tailgate and we asked, where's Chuck at? Ah, he's out looking, you know, and, and he had Chuck had walked into the pigeon pocket. So he was at that area. So those guys do it the hard way. And, and you know, Chuck's the real deal. No question about it. But he you told know, me about that bison and, and uh, my dad knew right where it was at. And so you got to get where I was from. I had hunted nine days walking in that snow and I would walk trying to track those bison. And, and I'm, I'm six, five. I got a lot. I've got a long torso on me. But I would walk until the snow would would catch me at my you know at my waistline, so I was falling in thirty something inches, and that is so hard to walk in snow like that. And we'd try snowshoes, and that would work for a while, but it was just it was really physically demanding hunt, hard really hard hunt. So I was so happy to get over to where we actually had some hard ground that you could walk on, and that's the east side was like that. Um, went over to where that. Uh, spring was my dad decided to walk into the spring it was a mile and a half in there and i just started walking around and, and you know there's some uh, domestic cattle in there too that you uh, we would look around and, and a bull cow you know cattle bovine track is very similar to a buffalo track they're hard to tell the difference between and uh, the only way you can tell is if you get a spot where you can find some hair and where the hair is you know because the bison in the spring they rub off and they they, they tend to get up against a fence or a stick or a tree that's whatever. And they, they try and get some of that uh, spring air off of them. And uh, anyway, uh, my dad had hiked in and I looked around there and I, I came back and I told dad, I said, I found some tracks. I found some fresh droppings. And I was pretty excited. I thought, I hope it's bison. And he's like, I know it is. And he had reached in his pocket and he had waddled up an entire bunch of uh, mane hair where this bison had rubbed off on a big old dead stick and it was actually a, a spot where it was a stick that it had a bunch of barbed wire around it and it had pulled a bunch of the bison hair and uh anyway he said well i i was depressed at that point i said ah pops i said this is probably cattle that we're tracking and uh he handed me the 
the um, hair there and he says well you're whatever he's doing he's got this wrapped around his neck and i saw that was bison hair it's hard uh, to stay you know what you start talking about nine days without getting into him you know you go seven days before you cut a track nine days that's it's hard to stay motivated at the level that you have to stay motivated to do some of these hunts when when you're not seeing them and you're not in them and you, you know, if you don't know for sure they're there, it's tough to keep that intensity level. Yeah. And I had, uh, I had, I, my main partner that helped me out with it was, he's like my brother, Phil Dalrymple. He was with me and, um, Phil had, uh, we had doing, during that scouting, I had found some bison that had moved out over on that East side, but they had a younger bull with them. They only had about a three to four year old bull and he wasn't what I was looking for. And, um, but we knew where those Buffalo were. Well, this old guy, one of the guys I told you was from Tucson. He's about an 80 year old guy, him and his brother. And, um, I told that guy where that bull was living and you have to go to a meeting prior to the, um, going out all three hunters meet with the game and fish guy the night before your hunt starts. And, um, the guy had been up there for two weeks. He hadn't found anything. And I said, I'm going to help you out. I said, I'm going to tell you where a Buffalo is. And I, I showed him pictures of it. And he's like, oh, I'll shoot that bull in a minute. You can shoot it with a bow or a gun. It's, it's your choice on that deal. And he was rifle hunting. And my buddy Phil, he's like, I cannot believe that you gave up the only bison that you know of. We've been scouting for three weeks, three weekends, you know, and we found one little herd. And we we're kind of using that as a backup. You know, he's like, and you only got a month to get this thing done. It ain't like you got a long season. Now you got a six-month season to hunt them if you get a tag on certain hunts. And uh I said, you know what, Phil, I just think it's the right thing to do. I, I want to see that guy get one too. And he's like, I don't understand that at all. And I said, you know what? God will bless me. I said, I'm going to help this guy out. I know that's the right thing to do. And the guy went out there and he killed it the first day. So um, Phil wasn't happy with my decision at that point, but <laughs> it worked out nine days later. Uh, Phil was with me all of those days. And that morning of that ninth day at noon, he left. And I found tracks, dad and I found those tracks at about, um, one in the afternoon. And, um, anyway, I got on some, once we determined that what I actually was on were bison, I found it had snowed the night before I had a little skip of snow. And so I took off and uh, started tracking the, the two tracks that I had. And, uh, I tracked them maybe a couple, couple of miles and they had went down on a point. So instead of going down on that point and possibly running them out because it was pretty thick in there, I thought I'm going to circle the point. The point went down on a ridge and there was a canyon that completely encompassed that point. And I thought if I can walk that canyon and I don't cut a track, I know they're on that point. And so that they couldn't come out because of the snow. So I walked, I did a big horseshoe uh, deal, came around and I completely encircled where the tracks went in and there were no tracks coming out. So I knew that they were in there. And so I was just, I just set up on it. And I did all this on my own. My, my dad had, had gone back uh, looking at another area uh, there for some bison. And, and, uh, but he was still near there, but just in a little different area. Anyway, long story short, I, I knew that they were in there and they hadn't come out. So I, I went into stealth mode. I, I actually took off my boots um, and uh, I had big wool socks on. And even though there was a light snow, it was a soft snow. It, the, the sun had it where it wasn't crunchy, but I, I wanted to be as quiet as I possibly could. And I knew that they had to be within four to 500 yards somewhere because the point wasn't that long. And I started sneaking down in there and sure enough, I jumped them out of their bed. 
and um, they ran back across the draw, went to the other side, and uh, I was really happy and sad all at the same time. I'd waited nine days. I did it all right. I got the win right, got in there with my shoes, sneaking around, shoes off and sneaking around, and uh, you got to remember now, I'm, it's snowing, and I've got both of my boots tied together and uh, hung off the back of my belt, and I bumped these buffalo <laughs> or these bison, and uh, they run off, and I'm like, Lord, thanks for showing them to me, but could you bring them back? They had ran across a big old canyon, and I could actually see them on the other side, and uh, they were a long way away, and I hadn't thrown up my binoculars to look at them, but I just knew they were nice bulls, both of them. One was exceptional, and one was really good, too. And I tell you, it was as, as if on cue, when I got done praying that prayer, Lord, please send them back to me. They turned and they ran to me. They came back to me on a jog like a string. And I just couldn't believe what was happening. They Evidently, what I had done is I would startled them. They didn't really know what why they were running. They hadn't smelled me. And they came back. They came back because the feed was better over on the side that I was on. And um, I got over in position and uh, at 35 yards, I, he, he came up a hill and he, and he stopped. I could see his whole front side and one horn. I knew one horn was exceptional. I knew one horn was really nice, but I couldn't see the other side. It was behind some brush. But as he turned uh, and went to take his step, I let it feed. And uh, I shot him with a 2219 and it went all the way through. Um, it actually caught the end of the back of the shoulder blade and went through both shoulder blades and um, out the other side. And so I double lunged him and he's a big old guy and he, he went to waddling around and he ran around and he got in front of me and I went running after him, just trying to keep him in sight. And, uh, I caught him. He had stopped up probably 60 yards away and he was stopped just barely walking. And I thought, well, I know I got a good shot in him. I'm going to try and get another one for good trailing. <laughs> and, uh, I did him a Texas heart shot and, uh, so the irony of that is, though, is uh, I'm very ADD. I can do anything really good at one thing at a time, you know. <laughs> uh, so I was super locked in, and I remember being at full draw, aiming at this thing's rear end, and I hear, I thought I heard somebody talking to me, but I thought, well, my mind's playing tricks on me, you know. But I, I swore I heard my name being called out, and um, I shot and got this thing just right below the the uh, anus there i i texas heart shot him and it air, arrow buried all the way up to the knock and he ran up and he stopped and uh anyway i grabbed another arrow and, and uh, uh tried to get up there and get a, a third arrow in him and anyway he took off but boy the blood was great red was blood was great from my double lung shot but it really showed up once i had hit that artery you know back there and uh i got up there and uh as i was trailing him um I really heard somebody say something. It was my dad of all places. My dad was like, Corky. And I'm like, oh, they scare me to death. I, and I was all excited. I said, Man. He's like, he was right there in front of you. And I said, I know, Pops. I said, he's got a hole through both lungs. And uh, now he's got one all the way. He said, I saw your arrow go into the knock. He said, that's not the only arrow you got in him. I said, no. He said, well, big animal. We better wait. I'm like, I'm keeping on him. I was so excited. So I stayed after him, and anyway, he had only went a couple hundred yards, and uh, he died. There's a road there that's a wilderness area road. Everything to the north of it is wilderness area. Everything to the south is a non-wilderness area. He died five yards into the wilderness area, so I was able to pull my pickup 
next to him and you know quarter him oh. up load him up that way so that's, that's awesome yeah somebody was looking out for you that day i'm telling you yeah and uh <laughs> he he had a horn down in the he had one down and i he was so big i couldn't pull him up and i've taken a bunch of bison um uh, with bows um I, i've actually hunted the uh, um the indian reservation uh in montana and um so i, I and we hunted one up there that we shot near and I, that we could put on a trailer full body. And so I put the full body on there and we took it to a meat locker. And cause I wanted to know what do they really weigh guts and all. Right. And, uh, this, that particular one I had shot a couple of years before and it weighed 2000 pounds, 2000 pounds with guts, everything in it. And, uh, this one had it by a good 100, 150 pounds, but you never really know, you know, because once you got them and all that kind of stuff, you leave all the guts and stuff there. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was quite the, quite the bison. So I think wow. it, and, uh, Chuck was all excited, uh, when I had called him and told him and, uh, he wanted me to measure how wide the, uh, Chuck does that a lot. A lot of, uh, one of, I don't know if I'm giving away his secrets, but I know he's a track man. Chuck is all about big tracks. Uh, you know, big animals have big tracks. That's just the way it goes. And uh, he wanted to know the width across um, that track, how much it was. And I told him, and he says that matches his data. He kept he keeps data on that stuff. He wow. says that's the one. He said that's the one. He was living in the pigeon pockets. He and those. What happens on the bison up there is uh, the bulls when they get where they can't hang in the herd, they, they get to an age that they can't. They're not the dominant bull anymore. They get ran out and uh, they would kind of go into those wilderness areas. They go in there to die. They go in there to eventually just live their life out and be done. But um, that's what happened there. And so I was able to, very fortunate to, to get a, you know, a, a good old one like that. And I, like I said, for, for an hour and a half, I couldn't even get his head up where it was buried down in that mud and snow and stuff. I didn't even know if he had a horn on the other side. <laughs> but when I pulled it out, he, he matched the other side. And, uh, yeah, it was a great, great time. Did, did you have an idea that it was, you know, that you're like, Hey, you knew it was a good one, but did you have any idea it was close to a world record? I knew, you know, um, in the, in the Pope and young and the records there, I think we looked, I know in the Arizona book, the, the 10 bison that are in the Arizona book, I've either guided or killed eight of the 10 bison in there. So I, I'm real involved in the bison. So I see them a lot and I, I can look at a horn and, tell pretty close i knew once i got up not before i shot him no the answer i didn't i knew he was a really big bull and i know he dwarfed the other bull but uh and the other bull was a good bull i'd shoot him i'd have shot him first day if i would saw him but uh he dwarfed the other one so yeah i knew that but when i got up and i got my hands on the horn the one horn i just hoped that his other side matched and it was a while because we had to work on him where he laid we, we couldn't move him hardly at all my, my dad and i and so, um, but I knew what I had once I, I had done it because I, my dad's bull was uh, just under Chuck's and it was, I think Chuck's was 115.4, dad's was 115 at the time. So I knew that it, that it seemed like it was 15 inches bigger than all that. It was really long. The length is what um, uh, was really exceptional on my bison. So Outstanding. And so now you're a, uh, measure. So did you measure it or did you take, uh, well, I know you can't do the official measuring on your own stuff, but, uh, I'm assuming you pr you're probably stretching the tape about the time the last quarter hit the tailgate. You know, I, uh, I didn't, 
I didn't, uh, I, I was just enjoying the time to be up there with my best friend in the world and to be up there with my dad. Somehow it seemed wrong to measure it. I knew that we had a, I knew that he was big. I knew it was, a, it was the biggest bison that I had ever heard of. And it's Arizona state record too. You know, it, that includes, you know, with the rifle and all that. And, um, I just knew that it was really big and, uh, we had kind of a really cool moment up there that night. Um, and it's a personal moment that, uh, that, uh, happened between my, my best friend and I, but uh, I'll, I'll, sh I'll let him share that someday if he wants to share that. So, but, uh, it was a really cool time. So, nice. but no, I, I waited a while and Phil's a measure as well. And, uh, Phil measured it. Um, and he's like, you know what you got? And I'm like, no, I, I just know it's big. And he's like, yeah, it's really big. <laughs> so I was very fortunate. So, yeah. yeah. So, so ground shrinkage did not apply in this particular instance. It did not. It did yeah. not. So, That's good. Yeah. So did, yeah. It, now did Phil, did he do your official measure, measuring when it, when you had it scored? I think, I think he was the one that's, that's on, on file there that did it. Um, okay. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think so. Um, okay. but yeah. Yeah. And Phil's our treasure too. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. uh, he's moved into that. He's moved into that. So in fact, we were talking about that this weekend. He's like, um, I don't think the Pope and Young had a CPA, um, for quite a few years running the, the books. <laughs> yeah. But Phil is, Phil is a, he's a meticulous guy and he is a numbers cruncher. And so he's, that's the exact guy you want there. Plus he has a yeah. passion for bow hunting. That's to, to get both of those, to get an unbelievable CPA and an unbelievable hunter and a guy with a passion. It's hard to find, but uh, he's both. So good man. Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. I, was, I was talking to Kurt, our president. And I said, man, I said, you know, I've been here right out for uh, exactly four years now. And I said, this is my fourth or third treasure in four years, just due to the yeah. way the, uh, the, uh, cycle, you know, the, um, uh, Oh, what do you call it? The, um, rotation. And all that goes. Yeah. The, the election cycle for board members. So yeah, right. I'm, I'm on treasure number three now. So we'll, we'll get, there you go. we'll get him all trained up. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's cool about it is we've got a lot of good things going, you know, you've got, we've got so many things that the, the Pope and young is doing as far as um, conservation things and things that we're donating to. And you know, that by funds and uh, people donating money, it's, it's changed a lot used to it. It was yeah. like, what's in the account? What do we owe somebody? It's not that anymore. There's all kinds of funds and things that we've created over the years that are great scholarships and all that. So, you know, that, I mean, it's been a lot of, it's, it's much more a conservation organization than it is a club anymore. You know, I mean, it's both, yeah. but uh, it's really doing a lot to help back and to help future things. So it's really exciting actually. To be part yeah. Of it. You know, and that's something, you know, you're, you're on the inside, you know, a big supporter for a long time and, and not everybody knows that when we're out talking to folks that maybe haven't been exposed, they all know what, Bo, you know, bow hunters, they all know what Pope and young is, but they think, Oh, it's, just the records and it yeah. you know yeah. Pope and Young so much more than that that it's nice to be able to have that dialogue communicate that with folks so that they can understand you know that's records are a huge part of who we are and what we'll be but there's so much more to the organization well what the organization has done and very successfully um and and there's a lot of responsibility that goes with it too is now within most states um, game and fish departments when they want to know what the bow hunters think 
when they want to know the bow hunter voice, they're coming to Pope and Young because they, that you represent so many people. And, um, you know, it's the organization that's given back and all that it's earned whether I think deservedly so personally, but, um, it's earned the, uh, entitlement of the Pope and Young gets to, has a loud voice on what happens with our, our hunting and things. When, when a game and fish in these States need to know what do bow hunters think, Pope and Young has that voice. And it's a, it's a, awesome and a daunting responsibility it's a lot to keep track of and uh but it's it's well earned and um well deserved and it's a it's a great position to be in and that that's to me to me doesn't matter what we do um as far as a club goes i mean i i like being part of the club and and all that but to earn the respect of several state game and fish offices uh across the country is is very very respectful so it's a great situation. Yeah, I'll bet, unbeknownst to most folks, I'll bet I have, I don't know, one to two things a week come across my desk that yeah. we get to provide input on as the, you know, the National Bowhunting Organization. And, you know, part of part of who we are is, I don't know what the correct terminology would be for the general pub but you know a little more uh traditional or old school and and i think a lot like you're talking about the state organizations a lot of them understand that because there is a historical significance to bow hunting that most people haven't experienced with with other forms of hunting i mean there was a time where we didn't have bow seasons in the united states yeah and it wasn't actually that long ago when you start looking at, at when, you know, 80 years ago, the, we just didn't have bow seasons. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that. So, yeah, you know, it, it's, it wasn't even that long ago, Arizona. I mean, you know, you know, our family's been devoted to the Pope and Young for years and years. It means a lot when as a group and individual, we really parlayed that, hey, we need to be able to start hunting bison in Arizona. That happened because of me and a couple other guys in Arizona saying that, that we love the Pope and Young, but we want to be able to um, be able to hunt bison in Arizona. So when I did, when I was fortunate enough to kill a world record in Arizona, that, that brought some notoriety. It looked good to um, the game and fish department that, hey, we allowed bow hunting to start. And my dad was the first guy to kill a bull with a bow. Um, it, it looked good that, that we're all tied in together. So I think, yeah. you know, Pope and Young has some fantastic good people. And when good people have good fortune and it's, and it's allowed to bring some notoriety to these organizations, it makes everybody look good and it's the right thing to do. You know, yeah. so it, it, it was a win-win by getting, uh, you know, that uh, when I think of bow hunting or bison hunting in, in Arizona, I think of my dad because he was the first guy to get that, that bull, you know, down with a bow. And uh, that, that kind of got it started and set the set the tone for the rest of it. So very cool. Man, it, do you ever, do you guys read you know, each other kinda... about, hey, dad, you know, mine's bigger? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He knows that. Uh, you know, it's funny. I guided my son. Uh, my son at one time I had the world record and then, uh, I guided or, or Russ, uh, he got a tag and he killed number two. And, uh, that's on, you can look at YouTube, uh, PSC, uh, bow hunting adventures. They filmed that, but you get to see 
you get to see what our family is a whole lot about. I mean, you see my dad and my son embracing each other, and it's just a cool video to watch. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage people to go on YouTube and find that. But, uh, on. but we had number one and number two, and uh, then my dad was like number five. And uh, then I guided another um, really good Pope and Young member, and uh, I replaced that number two with him. And then four years that? later, I, um, let's see, you're going to catch me on names here. There's two of them. Um, and then I replaced that number two with another number two. So, <laughs> so you just keep bumping Russ down. And Russ yeah, is I actually, bump him down. yeah, he's a good, he's on our IT committee. Cause he's got right. a lot of computer experience. So he's helping us out, uh, helping Pope and young and, and bow hunters right. everywhere by helping with our it stuff. So. Right. Right. Yeah. We're all, we're all doing what we can right now. So it's, uh, but you know, you put your time and your effort where you, where your heart is and, uh, Pope and young club has been good for us and it's good for everyone around, you know, like I said, yeah. as long as it keeps being the, as long as it's the spokesman's, it's the, the, the voice of the bow hunter, um, it'll always be that. And I'm so glad that the Pope and Young in the past few years has become a much more inclusive organization. You know, um, you know, it, it's something, it, it, things evolve. I mean, we want to keep it at traditional. We want to keep it a, uh, you know, a sport that, that um, keeps it a, a fair chase always. But yes. when you have, uh, you know, but we need to, if you're out there with a bow and it's a bow and you're pulling that back and you're holding that thing with your fingers or, or a release aid and it's not a crossbow, you're a bow hunter. That's, and yeah. we, have, we have gotten to the point now with the Pope and Young to where we're including bow hunting. And, and that's what we needed to do. And I'm glad we, we went that direction. I'm glad that we're doing that now. So yeah, much more inclusive. And uh, got, you got we got to represent our constituency. You know, we really do. So yeah, well, it's. It's, you know, if you're, you, you can't, you can't represent bow hunters as a whole. If, if you're so exclusive, they, you exclude most of them with, you know, equipment restrictions or whatnot. And so. Right. Right. Yeah. So what's, um, obviously the bison has, has been something that, that you've been around a lot of, of record class animals. What, if you had to name another species, what have you had any of that experience of, of that caliber of trophies with, with any other species? Well, you know, I actually have, I've had, um, and, uh, I'll, I'll go back to Chuck Adams one time, the year that you guys gave Chuck the, uh, um, what was it? Not, I'm thinking of, uh, Arizona. What's the, uh, the Ishii award, the Ishii, the Ishii award, the year Chuck killed the Ishii award or that he, accomplished his Ishii award was the year that I had an antelope that had uh, 20 and seven eighths on one side and 20 and six eighths on the other side. Jeez. And Chuck came to me and I, you know, I sat at Chuck's table and he came to me and he says, I want to apologize to you. And I said, for what? And he says, never in my life has an animal deserved an Ishii award more than that antelope. He said, that thing stands out more than any other trophy that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> But he said, it's the year that I completed my 27. So he said, I ended up getting it for that. And he said, I just want to apologize to you. And I'm like, you don't ever need to apologize to me for killing all 27 North American big game species with a bow and being the first to do it. I said, you know, but anyway, so yeah, that, that uh, pronghorn was really something else. So, um, and where is that one now? Where's that one sitting? I think uh, Safari Club, I think it's number one or two. Um, I think with us, it's number two or three. Um, you know, it's uh, 
and you know with antelope they 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 dry they have we have it's now we've actually fixed that to where I killed mine at the end of a of a scoring period, so it sat around for two years before the next uh, biennial um, meeting that we had. However, uh, it's right at ninety, little, little over ninety. So, nice. but uh, it's still the tallest. I just did a Arizona Antelope Foundation. I do the um, seminar for them every year from the archery side of it, and I love doing it. I think it's my fifteenth year of doing the the seminar for them, and uh, I bring that thing in and. Uh, you know, the, the, the guy's just oohing all over it. I can't know. even imagine the one that, I mean, that's just insane, insane. Cool thing about it, cool thing about it is I killed it 9-9 nine, nine of 1999, right? That's and cool. uh, there's one other antelope that has over 20-inch horns on both sides in the Boone and Crockett, actually. And we don't know what day it was killed, but we know that it was 9 of 1899. So... Really, I think I, I think I missed an opportunity on an article there for having the century-old twenty-inch buck. Right, <laughs> that's cool. That's very yeah. cool. You know, I got to tell you, I got to see the Pope and the Young World Record 3D course at the Mountain Archery Festival. Uh, it was two years ago, and I, I don't recall exactly which mountain it was on. But you're you're looking at all these massive trophies. I mean you know, representative of the current world records, you know, mule deer, whitetail, elk. And I've got to tell you the one, and it shocked me. I would have never even thought that it was in the, in the runnings, but the one that just, like you say, that truly just stood out even among the world records is that antelope. Cause you just look at it and you're like, you know, a big elk is a big elk. And then, you know, a world record is 20 inches bigger. And then this particular antelope, you just look and you're just like, that just can't be right. That's just that, that has to be fake. Um, And so that was one of the ones of all the ones that we had there, that was of all of them, probably the one that to me stood out the most. Yeah, that would have been uh, Marvin Zeeser's uh, very good friend of mine. Uh, We work together all the time in Arizona and uh, yeah, just, just, stovepipe i mean the mass on that thing was amazing and what's interesting is all of those big antelope um there was a few other ones that were killed um in that they're all killed within a mile of each other in arizona Hmm. and unfortunately all that area has been uh encroached upon upon houses and so we're really struggling with our antelope in arizona right now um they're they're not the not the trophies that we used to have and just our even our herds are way down we're way down on of all the things in arizona the one thing that we're really hurting on is our our pronghorn and uh but all of those big antelope that came from arizona all came from the same unit within just literally wow. hundreds of yards of each other i know where marvin killed his i know where mine died i know where uh kevin robinson killed his and uh a, a couple other guys and uh they're all it's really really crazy it's within three ridges of each other so wow. it's all about it's all about uh genetics right so yep. yeah so what's what's the next one that you're going to have maybe at panel or potential world record <laughs> uh well i only thing this year I got drawn for is after several years, I finally drew a New Mexico elk tag. So I'm excited about that. It's not got big elk, but uh, it's got elk. And so I'm, I'm happy to, to get after it. So you know, after you 26, years, 26 years of applying, uh, 
with my father. Uh, last year, I drew my uh, Utah moose tag. We were the two residents with, or non-residents with the most points. And so we got down to where we're the, we're the only two left. And Utah had a, a tag that goes to the guy with the most non-resident points. And so we were able to manage that hunt. So I, I drew it last year and uh, Pops got it this year. So my dad's 84. And after 26 years of applying, he has his Utah moose tag. So I think I've got about, my dad's pretty influential guy. I think I had about 12 guys when they found out that my dad had that tag, um, volunteered that they're coming up to help. And, you know, guys of pretty big caliber, uh, that, you know, as well, uh, Dallas Smith, Dallas came up and helped me on my hunt. He's not going to miss my dad's hunt. You know, Dallas has just died in the wool, Utah guy. And, uh, yeah, just for such, sure. such, he's been a friend and, uh, and just a wonderful help all, all along. He's so connected up there. So, He's going to be involved in that too, but we're really looking forward to that. Um, uh, hunting with my pops at 84 and, uh, he's, That's nice. you can shoot, you can shoot with a gun too, if you want, but my dad's like, ah, we're not bringing no gun. He said, every time I've hunted a moose, they're not the smartest critter in the world. He said, we'll get one with a bow. So I'm yeah, like, All right, cool. I love it. <laughs> you know what? That's, well, I'll tell you what, connect up with that moose and then let's get you and your dad on and we'll talk about go. it and then we'll just, you know, we'll have your dad come in and talk about moose something at 84 where he's still not too old to, uh, to do it with a bow and uh, that'll take a lot of the excuses away from some of these other folks. You'll have to hook up with Russ and have him send, uh, my dad completed his big 10 in Arizona. That's everything in Arizona with a bow and arrow set. Um, my dad got his done at 80 cause it took him that long to draw his desert sheep tag, but Russ put wow. together just an unbelievable video of that. Um, have to have russ send you the link to that video uh nice. it's amazing it's really cool, cool. Yeah. yeah you know what dylan let's let's put him down let's see if we can't make that happen yeah absolutely all right yeah yeah so that's uh you know you mentioned elk you know you're in an area without big elk and i'll tell you what you, you lucked out with your bison being five yards from the road if you think an elk is not very big <laughs> you shoot a spike bull five yard or five miles from the from the yeah. truck and they're bigger than you yeah. think yeah you, you walk up to it and you look at it going oh my goodness what have i done i know yeah. that uh i've killed some moose in alaska and uh i killed one one time five miles from camp i was younger and dumber in those days you know one of those uh it doesn't matter where it's at i'll hunt it i did it yeah I, and i look at that going what in the world did i do well i created a three-day every every hour of every day just about yeah. back of that moose <laughs> but yeah, there's fun. There's a time where you don't understand when your dad says, don't look over there because you don't want to see something over there. You don't understand that because you literally hike all day, do whatever it takes to get into something. And then later you realize, oh, don't look over there. You might actually see something over there. And then we have to go chase it. And there are many roads over there. I was never so happy. I was going back after the last front shoulder, the the last piece that I had to pull out. And uh, I got there and a brown bear had finally found it on day two and a half and uh i was like you know what buddy that's yours yeah enjoy <laughs> yeah enjoy you got it and i don't have to break my back this last session i, I don't know how bad that sounds but uh anyway i figured i'd carried out plenty of moose in the brown bears I got to yeah i let him have that last front shoulder <laughs> yeah well oh, yeah uh, now you know if a brown bear's in there it's i think that was probably the wise move yeah, no, they win. Yeah. They win every time. So that's good. Well, Corky, here's one question we ask every guest: is when you find yourself 
up on the mountain chasing chasing bison at at 10,000 feet or out in the desert chasing antelope when you're out hunting what's one maybe non-traditional item that you like to have with you on a hunt oh you know i carry an umbrella a lot and uh i have a camo umbrella and uh i use that on so many things um and like when i was doing the antelope seminar the other day uh the, the umbrella i got is a uh it's a tree umbrella so in other words it's the one that you would set you know on your tree stand that, that goes up above your head then it has on the back part it's flat but it kind of like wraps around the tree uh i use that in arizona i don't leave without an umbrella and i use it for exactly the opposite reason i don't use it in arizona for the rain i use it for the sun the sun's just beat you because you got to stay out there you know and like hunting pronghorn in arizona you're 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 in 100 plus degrees in nevada and new mexico and all that for that reason for that uh, matter um but i use it for the shade portion of it to keep it to where it's cooled that allows me to stay out there if you have a little shade you're fine you can stay out there in that kind of heat but if you don't if you just have that direct sun beating down on you and even if you got a hat on a brimmed hat and all that still that thing's hitting the top of your head and there's something about that just burns you up and uh a lot of this Western hunting, you know, um, you need something to keep you cool. And uh, I use an umbrella, I think, is probably the, the craziest thing that I have in my pack. I always got my Bible in there, but I think a whole bunch of guys always have their Bible in there, too. So anyway, it's just, that's I like sitting out there and uh, I don't know, I get I get my mind clear and uh, God talks to me pretty clear out there when i am got nothing else to distract me. <laughs> that's, you know, umbrella. That's a new one. That's first we've had. It's not only a new one, but it's a tip as well. I like it. It's a tip. It's a little and, tip. You know, I'm, I'm from Western Oregon where I don't know if we invented rain, but I think we perfected it. And yeah. so, and from here, I, I don't know anybody. I think my mom owns an umbrella, but I don't know that I've ever seen her use it. And so yeah. I was just commenting to somebody the other day. I was, I was going along and I saw somebody with an umbrella and I'm like, ah, they must be from California recent transplant. Cause most, yeah. <laughs> most Oregonians don't use umbrellas. And then here I am like in the back of my mind, you know, the guy from Arizona was like, well, I take an umbrella. And I'm like, of course he does. But then he had a good reason. And I'm like, you know, yeah. that yeah. makes sense. I like that. So, well, the other, the other reason for that umbrella is it's flat. Like I said, on that one side. And so you open it up and you set it down. It creates a blind in front of you. It's, I can set behind that and I've got a complete blind in front of me. And, uh, so it has several purposes. Um, but that's in actually, uh, hunting turkeys this year up on the, uh, uh, white mountain Indian reservation. I was using that bumping along, uh, and I was able to stock up on turkeys, which are the sharpest animal in the world out there. Vision wise goes and, uh, maybe next to a pronghorn and, uh, but you could, you could bump up a road with one of those blinds, just using that. And, uh, then another little trick of using a fan of a Turkey. I mean, we, we, we had more turkeys come to us by flashing a fan than we did calling at them this year. It was mm-hmm. amazing. Really fun. Really cool. Unique. The Indians up there, um, showed us that the white mountain Apache tribe, they they've known that for years, but, uh, it's called flashing turkeys. And, um, you take a fan off of a bird that you, somebody else had shot and you, stick that out on the side and you just flash that back and forth and it was amazing they come so fast that i don't want to tell you how many times how many turkeys i missed under 10 yards this year because they come so fast and they're all puffed up and yeah uh, yeah it was real frustrating for me you you don't have to tell us and we won't ask there you go there you go there you go well outstanding 
that that is neat I, umbrella dylan mark that one down i oh, like it yeah, yeah and i keep i keep uh in arizona i keep uh my tweezers are on a lanyard um i have tweezers that uh i keep around my neck all the time because i'm in cactus all day long i get cactus in me and that's true in a lot of states and i'll tell you another tip that's really cool if you turn your binoculars upside down and you look through the objective lens looking back down through the eyepiece it makes the most wonderful magnifying glass you've ever seen in your life and so you got so you imagine your binoculars hanging on your neck you turn them upside down you're looking through the big end looking towards the small end and you can put your thumb down there and with those tweezers um, you can see what you're actually needing to do to pull it out uh, sticker wires and uh, I use that at least once a day in Arizona because uh, everything out here either pokes you scratches you or bites you so yeah <laughs> so it's so I use that too so anyway if you see me I'm going to have an umbrella and I'm going to have a lanyard with a pair of tweezers and any more pair of readers on it. I got, I hit 42 and all of a sudden I need readers. So, <laughs> so well, that's another, anyway. I, that's another tip. All right. Well, while we're rolling, yeah. what, what's another one that you have for our listeners? How do we kill a well, world record? Uh, what's your number one uh, tip to kill a world record? <laughs> uh, stay at it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I told those guys back, we had a couple other fellows that were presenting and one guy was presenting on the size of antelope and all that. And, you know, they were, they kept telling, you know, any, any trophy is a good trophy, which I understand what he was trying to say. Yeah. You know, to kill a pronghorn, to kill a, a Pope and young pronghorn, that's a trophy. It really is. But there's a difference between a 70 inch and an 80 inch. And if you're in an area that has 80 inches, uh, my dad told me a long time ago, you know how you kill an 80 inch antelope? And I'm like, no, pops. He says, don't shoot 70 inches. And that's true. Your opportunity will come. And, um, on any animal, I believe, if you stay out there long enough, nice ones come by, but Chuck Adams never got all those world records that he got by shooting 185, 185-inch fielder is a monster, but Chuck kills them over two all the time. I've, I've killed five over 200 inches, um, you know, a couple non-typicals and uh, three typicals, but um, the only way you get those is let a 180, 185 walk. And it's hard to do, but after you've been seasoned for a while and, you know, you're, you're okay with walking and eating some tag soup, um, let some of those little guys go. And, um, you know, because you don't have a shot at a big one if you shoot the little ones, unless you're hunting like Kodiak where you shoot five deer or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know. <laughs> Although he, it's interesting you mentioned the blacktails because that was his most recent world record. And yeah. he got that one. That was the first deer he saw yeah. when he got on that hunt was the one he shot yeah. his record. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. and that hunt, Chuck, just so you know, not, not to out Chuck, but he did actually shoot the smallest deer he'd seen up until then. Yeah. <laughs> happened yeah. To be yeah. World record. But it's yeah, Chuck Adams, so he knows. Yeah. 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 It's He's got the it factor. There's no question. When yeah. it comes to it, he has it. And I was just inducted into the uh, Arizona Bow Hunting Hall of Fame in March. Uh, actually, my my uh, wife and I were both, in, my ex-wife and I were both inducted. And uh, uh, I got, my son did the inductee and, uh, or the induction, and uh, he compared me to, to Chuck and uh, talking about having the it factor. So to be in the same um, <laughs> uh, subject line as Chuck Adams has been an honor to me. He's, he's good. Yes. Man, so. yeah, yeah, you know, and I just like, you know, one of the things with Chuck, I saw a, a picture he posted one time, and they, I think this was in the, I think it was last season, might have been from that Alaska hunt. 
And it was one of those things where, you know, there's got, you know, you got guys out there who they'll only wear sick and other guys oh, I'll only wear, you know, some guys only wear something. And all of a sudden you took a picture of, he took a picture of the inside of his tent. You remember that Dylan? I think you might've yeah. pointed it out. Yeah. It was like and he old, had stuff. Old cotton. Yeah. It, and up. it's like, you know, I'm, he's got, he's got some of the new stuff too, but a lot of what he had hanging in that tent was stuff that you didn't have to be a rich man or one of the best bow hunters in the world to go out and afford. It was really, right. you know, he, he's, he's the legitimate deal that everybody could do. You know, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty impressive. I really enjoy visiting with him every chance I get. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's, uh, like yeah. I told you, when I run in running into him and his dad, you'd think with a guy with the prestige that he had that you would see a motorhome and all that stuff. And nah, yeah. they, were, they were camping in the back of a, a pickup bed that they had welded a trailer hitch on and uh, had a camper shell on the back. And that was their stove. That was their camp. That was everything. And they, they were doing it rough, you know. So That's that's awesome. You know, I don't get too many opportunity. You know, I mean, uh, we talked to a lot of really, you know, influential people and well-known bow hunters. And that was one of the ones when Chuck Adams called me on my, on my cell phone one time, that's one I called my dad for. It's like, you will never believe who just called me. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. But anyway, well, Corky, Hey, congratulations. Uh, thank you so much for all you do for, for Pope and young. I know your, your family's been involved, uh, for a long time and, and your big supporters, we appreciate you, and and thanks again for joining us today. All right, hey, thank you, and I All appreciate right. it. And hopefully, hopefully, we'll be on another one of these for some other critter that comes my way, that God sends my way. <laughs> Sounds good. And you know what? Let's let's work on getting your dad on. I think that'd be a great conversation. Yeah, we'd love to do it. So, all right, thanks so much. Thanks, Have guys. a great day. Appreciate the yep. opportunity. Have a great day. Bye. -bye. Bye.